0: Welcome to Hempire, presented by C.W. Hemp, a weekly installment dedicated to exploring the non-psychoactive side of the cannabis plant. Once a cornerstone of the American economy, hemp has been used in over 25,000 products, including paper, textiles, construction materials, health food, and fuel. Now, tune in and discover all there is to know about this wonder crop making a historic comeback. Hempire. Presented by CW Hemp, starts now. And we're back with Hempire, the show devoted to
1: all things hemp. I'm Dr. Mitch Early Wine, author of the Oxford University Press book, Understanding Marijuana. I pen the High Times column, Ask Dr. Mitch. And I'm here with Mickey Norris and Chris Conrad, cannabis mavens, eager to discuss Prop 64. If you haven't heard the beginning of our talk, pick up what we had over on the burning issues podcast and we're just going to build right from there. We were talking about access to miners and all the ways that this is going to be markedly better for them because this is a hemp show. I did want to just uh, touch base on the implications for hemp. Would you guys care to comment on industrial hemp work?
2: I would love to, because I think this is one of the most huge things and it's totally understated is that uh, the proposition 64, um, allows for industrial hemp. It allows for smaller sizes of grows. It allows for breeders to make sure that somebody like Monsanto can't step in and take over the market. We're going to have our own breeders specifically working to get uh, strains of hemp that work here in California. And, and really most importantly, though, is that with we have a, already have a state hemp law, but it requires getting a federal DEA license. And with this initiative, that restriction is gone. And so by following with the uh, federal farm bill, um, we'll be able to grow hemp in California starting next year if this initiative passes without having to have our farm. Farmers uh, get these DEA licenses, which, as you know, Mitch, I think the last one was issued in 1955 or something like that.
1: Apparently, somebody just got one in California, but I'm having a hard time hunting them down.
2: Yeah, actually, there was one in uh, 1994 The the Department of Agriculture, without a DEA license, grew a hemp farm here. And the DEA came and chopped it down. And I actually have some stocks of that in the museum in Osterdam, California. That's
3: actually, good. the initiative doesn't even uh, specifically say that you need a license.
2: No, but it does say it, it says you don't need the DEA license. <laughs> so the current initiative says that, you, I mean, the current law says you do need a DEA license, and this does not require that.
1: That's, yeah. that's a riot. But as you um, mentioned, there's
2: no license required to grow hemp in California after this, so we may not even know who all is growing it.
1: I, I, I relish that thought, to tell you the truth.
3: So <laughs> um,
1: I know you guys have been. Big but it is re-
3: it is restricted to a 0.3% um, THC level yeah, clearly or it below. Can't be.
1: psychoactive product but when you want to grow a nice Mm -hmm. long stalk, uh, you're not going to have big buds on there anyway i know you guys have both written about this kind of stuff a lot um chris's new book is the newbie's guide to cannabis in the industries he's also got a, a a classic book on hemp itself could you just remind us again how kick-ass hemp is and all the great things it can do. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, actually,
2: you know, uh, if anybody of your listeners has heard of the book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, I collaborated on that and designed and edited it with Jack Hare. Uh, but my my first book was called Hemp Colon Lifeline to the Future. And uh, it basically broke down the, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 50,000 uh, commercial products that could be made with hemp. And, and since then, of course, as you know, Mitch, there's more products that can be made with hemp. But it includes uh, food, clothing, housing, paper, plastic, uh, restorative uh, environmental cleanup uh, by uh, removing uh, bioremediation of toxins from the soil, uh, carbon sink to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Uh, it squeezes out weeds without pesticides. Uh, it it can be grown as a relatively uh, low water crop. A lot of people are confused because people who grow big marijuana plants use a lot of water, but Compared to other crops like uh, cotton or corn, if you're growing a field of hemp, it takes less water. And so it's got uh, all these huge things. But the most exciting part, I believe, nowadays is the housing issue, which here in California housing is – become humongously expensive the cost of uh utilities for heating and so are amazingly expensive and so uh with hemp you can build houses that uh will be fairly inexpensive to build because it takes very little processing to make what we call hempcrete and that is a insulative, wind insulative sound insulative uh pest resistant fire resistant mold resistant uh it's just an incredible product and I think that's really uh where I really hope a lot of the energy goes because you know we don't have the infrastructure to do the textiles and such at this point. It's going to take a while to get that back. But building hemp houses, we can do as soon as that first crop comes out of the ground.
3: But I, I really think that the, the majority is going to probably start off with uh, the, the seed uses, as, as it is looking at seed breeding as well, don't you think, Chris?
2: Oh, yeah, sure. In fact, Dr. Bronner's uh, soaps are the biggest consumer of hemp seed oil in the world, in, except for China. I mean China is is the biggest one in the world. But uh for the Western world that they're the biggest consumer and they used to primarily um in uh, high hygiene products and so forth, but it's really a big deal cosmetics,
3: it's, it's, soaps, ice. lotions, uh, things, things like food. that. Yeah. yeah
2: dreams, all these but,
3: and hand food and food.
2: Right, and hemp food, but they don't make the hemp food then then you have there are other companies that make hemp food products and and we'll see more and more of those cuz hemp has uh, eight essential proteins three essential fatty acids gamma acid which is basically found in mother's milk and in hemp seed and a couple of other places almost no place else um and it's uh it's extremely uh nutritious a valuable food crop and uh so these are things that we're going to hopefully see a lot of and again with the food products it doesn't take much work you harvest the seeds you de them and then you can mix it in as an ingredient into food so things like food and housing take relatively little uh, infrastructure
1: so some of the critics are saying hey there's going to be pot at the 7-eleven now can you explain how that's not really the case at all
3: it's not really the case at all because it's it's uh, it's gonna be sold in in regulated licensed stores specific to cannabis and you cannot have um, alcohol or tobacco sold at the same place. So it, it is gonna be strict, restricted that way. We're not gonna see it at grocery stores or seven 11s Maybe some who knows, someday some someday down the road, after society becomes much more accustomed to um to social use and and i'm i'm just to me that that's that's a a major thing that's going to change we're going to be entering a new paradigm a new legal paradigm of of societal acceptance social acceptance of of adult use which we have not had uh, through these years of reefer madness and zero tolerance you know we're we're coming up to an age of where it's okay for adults to consume cannabis i think that's going to enable a lot of people to come out of the closet and uh be more open about it we, we're going to shed that shame that comes with the illegality of it that society puts on us with the the criminal label um that's going to be a major a major change and uh with that, I think we're going to gain more rights as cannabis consumers. I have the Cannabis Consumers Campaign that's asked people to come out of the closet and stand up for equal rights because I think once people see who are the cannabis consumers, that we're good, contributing members of society. We're hardworking, productive, uh, creative, compassionate, intelligent, honest people. That you know they have nothing to fear, and then and then. Uh, you know, this initiative does enable employers to still drug test people. Um, they still retain their rights to a drug-free workplace. It retains their uh, landlord's rights, you know, to determine what, what kind of activities can go on on, on their properties. But it's it's going to be a major change once people come out and, and, and it's legal for people to use it. I think employers are going to say, see that some of their best employees use cannabis on their own time, and they shouldn't be drug testing them or penalizing them in any way. So um, this is a beginning. This initiative is a beginning. What, Chris?
2: The Silicon Valley generally doesn't test for marijuana anyway because some of the most creative and productive people are marijuana smokers, and they're aware of that. Uh, I, I think another interesting thing that touches on this and, and something you said in the earlier program, Mitch, was that uh, we are actually getting a lot of pushback from uh, people who have been legalizers who feel like it should be an anarchic system, meaning there should be no rules, no regulations, no taxes, etc. cetera. And, uh, you know, the, the fact is, of course, that this is really designed for responsible adult use. We're, it doesn't allow people to drive down the street smoking pot. Uh, it doesn't allow people to blow smoke into people's faces. It doesn't allow people to sell marijuana over their back fence to their neighbor. Uh, you know, it does create a regulations and, and responsible adult behaviors. And so the, one of the things that's really um, bothersome to us is that, you know, there are people in the marijuana reform movement who are now using this opportunity to spread rumors and lies, such as saying that Monsanto is behind the initiative, which is not true, such as saying that it adds new penalties, which is not true. And so these, there's this group out here that we dealing with uh that basically um they don't think there should be any rules they don't think they should have to pay taxes and they'll stoop to no uh they don't know have any bottom line of what they won't say in order to try to stop this initiative from being passed and that's really why it's pitched to the middle it's pitched it's more conservative than some of us would like uh and it's more liberal than other people would like but it's mostly designed to protect children to protect the environment, to collect that tax revenue, and to stop sending people to prison and let them get their lives together through a restorative justice program that includes job trainings, that includes cleaning people's records, that includes opening people. uh, If you have a prior arrest for marijuana, you'll still be able to get a job in the industry. If you have a prior arrest for methamphetamine, you'll still be able to get into the industry. And the reason for that is because they want to make sure people have an opportunity to get their lives back together, to do productive things, and to get that money, uh, which is going to the the uh the mexican drug gangs and to the people growing in the hills and selling it out of state and so forth who are not willing to follow any rules who are polluting the environment we want to take the the marijuana economy away from those people and give it to responsible businesses give it to small businesses like mickey mentioned with the micro business license it's not just for big business and all in fact it's really designed to help the small growers come above ground um and, and so this is a huge part of what it does
1: well, so it's, it's, it's just super intriguing, and i, I got to keep playing back to the baby card where I feel like the conservative folks are really grousing. What about those medicated gummy bears that Kevin Sabet's always eating?
3: Okay, well, for one thing, the edibles are, are really going to be regulated. We learned that lesson from Colorado and Maureen Dodd, her, her uh, high-profile overdose on eating too much chocolate. I mean, it didn't kill her. Of course, it doesn't kill anybody, but um, it doesn't have a lethal dose. But we learned that um, they're going to be required to um, create 10-milligram THC doses, and everything has to be either at 10 milligrams or less, um, They have to, or if you get a, a chocolate, it, the doses have to be individually packaged that way, or they can be bigger. Do- they can be like a chocolate candy bar which might be let's say 180 milligrams of THC that's the kind I get and then but they would have to be scored to show you what 10 milligrams are so people will know what a dose is so that they and 10 milligrams I think is a pretty average kind of moderate kind of dose some people like five some people like 15 20 25 30 milligrams so people can can adjust their dose however they like, but they will know, and it's it's going to be required to either be packaged or scored to ten milligrams, so and labeled. Everything's going to be labeled. People will know the cannabinoid profiles, not just THC and CBD, but CBG and CBN and terpenes, and they're going to ha- have the, they will know if there are pesticides used or if this is an completely organic product. Um, and so it's and it's aimed towards I think encouraging more organic uh, cannabis out there. So uh, kids, it's not going to be packaged attractive to kids as well. That and the gummy bears, that that they're developing the the regulations right now. As Chris mentioned, they have last year the um, legislature passed a, a very. Uh, Strong regulation that that regulates the medical cannabis industry, and uh, so they're they're working on the the regulations now already because that's going to come into effect in the same time as Prop eighteen Prop uh, I'm sorry Prop sixty four would come into effect in, in twenty eighteen.
1: I I do have to take a break. Just one second. Hey, we're talking with Chris Conrad and Mickey Norris about Prop 64 and all the good that it could do. Uh, I just got to get a word in from our sponsors. Please stay tuned to Hempire on CannabisRadio.com.
0: Hold on for more Hempire after you've grown to learn more about our sponsors.
1: Business cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me own crops, channel. You know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc.
0: Mindful of sustainable practices and limiting their environmental footprint, Sal hemp is always grown outdoors, as nature intended. By starting with uniform genetic profiles... Sansal ensures the plant will maintain its optimal performance and yield consistently throughout its life cycle. It is through innovative processes that Sansal is able to achieve pure whole hemp extracts and meet industry requirements and the level of quality desired by many of their customers. Healthy plants, healthy people. SansalCBD.com. Improve your lifestyle naturally.
2: Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download.
0: Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Time to harvest more crop-tastic content on Hempire, only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: And we're back at Hempire, the show devoted to all things hemp. I've got Chris Conrad and Mickey Norris giving us all the lowdown on Prop 64 and the good it can do for California and maybe even set a great example for the world. Uh, We were just discussing some of the issues related to to kid use, in part because the baby card is what the conservatives have been playing. Chris, you had mentioned some things about advertising and, and how that might be relevant to the children. Uh,
2: yes, indeed. In fact, uh, the advertising, as Mickey managed, it's not allowed to be um, directed at children. Uh, it's also supposed to be plain wrapping uh, on everything. There's warning labels on everything. Things are in childproof containers, uh, which is important for people with the younger children. Um, and the other thing is that when it comes to advertising, the advertising is restricted, so it won't be around schools. It won't be around parks. It won't be around places where children are going to be, uh, like daycare centers and things like that. So that's one of the things they have as a restriction on it. And um, I think that the thing that I, I also want to throw in there is that the uh, uh, CDC, uh, the federal uh, agency that studies drugs and behavior, uh, among other things, it, they've just released a report that found that teenage use of marijuana and adult abusive behavior goes down with legalization even as adult use goes up. So I think to a large extent, Mitch, the problem that we've run into is that the drug war has glamorized marijuana to young people making it seem like this uh, uh, forbidden fruit that they can, you know, they get and they sneak and it makes them somehow something else. But what we've seen here in California is once it becomes an aid medicine and a cancer medicine, it's not as exciting to young people. And I think once this becomes normalized as part of life, um, you know, there's still going to be a little bit of that attraction, like people have to alcohol, but I think it's going to be significantly down. And most importantly, though, we'll be able to teach people about responsible use, which in an illegal environment, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. But in a legal environment, you can tell parents about how to keep away from the children, how to recognize that the children have gotten into it, uh, what what steps might, might need to be used, like using lemonade, giving them some lemonade to get their uh, energy back up, and things like that. So, I, uh, you know, I think not only are we going to see a reduction in those kind of things. Not only does this initiative protect children, uh, but in addition, to that adults are going to learn how to behave more responsibly, and that's all going to help.
3: And not only it's- that, it, not only that, Mitch, there there there's going to be a lot of money. Going towards youth programs to help them if if they do have any any problems. Uh, they estimate uh, a, a billion dollars in tax revenue from California's market. We we have, you know, we're the sixth largest economy in the world. So this is going to have uh, international implications if we pass this. That it's going to it's going to send a message that. We can handle this. We can have legal marijuana. We can allow people to use it responsibly and and society can can uh, deal with it fine. And hopefully it's going to encourage other other states and other other countries to to go forward with with uh, legalization. But as I was mentioning, um, there's certain allocations on where the money's going, including, taking care of, uh, paying for the program itself and monitoring it. There's going to be $10 million every year for universe, uh, UCs to be looking at um, the how it's being implemented and to make recommendations to the, the legislature to make fixes. And this initiative allows that it allows them to amend initiative amend the initiative to continue to reduce penalties and also to tweak regulations to make sure that it's working as as planned to to make it accessible to adults and and not attracted to kids but also to um, yeah it, it's just it's going to be uh, really something but six after that it, we have a fifty million ten starting at 10 million dollars going up to 50 million dollars a year to uh, for a fund that is directed towards um, organizations that help the communities that have been disproportionately impacted by the drug war and marijuana prohibition so that's going to include job placement um, expungement of records, different kinds of um, economic grants, I believe, as well. So it's going to address that. It's going to have money for medical marijuana research, $2 million a year to the center at, at UC San Diego, where they're currently conducting it. There's going to be uh after all these allocations, there's going to be money, 60% that goes to youth programs, and that's like after-school programs, uh, counseling, family counseling, um, outreach to homeless youth. And it's going to uh, put a lot of money into, into things that are going to help kids instead of harm kids. And then after that, 20% is going to environmental restoration and cleanup and continue to go to that, and then 20% to law enforcement as well, so that they can have the money they need to um, to get training. There's going to be money for the uh, CHP to develop um, standards for impaired driving. No, no per se DUI, like a certain amount of THC in your system. They know that's not effective. So they're looking at ways of determining uh, field sobriety tests and impairment testing for all impaired driving, including marijuana, so there's a, it's it's going to address the kids. It's addressing public safety. It's addressing public health. So we think it we think it's a pretty reasonable initiative, and and, and has a lot to offer California.
1: That's just such a delightful thought, and I mean I think about earmarking. Uh, billion dollars, but you guys have, you know, just really thought this through in, in, a, in a wonderful way. I'm curious, are there things that uh, we can elaborate on as far as just uh, hemp and some of the environmental cleanup that might be helpful for California in particular, but also for around the U.S. and other countries?
2: Well, it's not specifically in the bill, but since you do not need to have a, uh, a specific license under the initiative, I believe that a person will be able to get like a university grant to do things like going into areas that have been toxified soil and use it to clean hemp to clean that up go into our uh, areas of the forest that have been um, deforested and use hemp to help get the forest back on its feet and things like that clean up watersheds so uh, it really opens up the opportunity to do some of these things we've talked about for the past 20 years about using hemp to clean up the environment and actually implement those.
1: And I love this notion of developing better roadside sobriety tests. I sure wish I was still in California and could, could work on gathering those data. But I do feel like the driving issue is still kind of hitting us hard. Is there a way to help uh, alleviate some of the fears folks have about that?
2: Well, to begin with, there's uh, it doesn't legalize impaired driving. It doesn't allow people to have an open container in their car. Um, which what exactly that means, we don't really know. But the authors of the bill said uh, the initiative said that they basically mean if there's a, a, a joint in your ashtray, that's an open container. If it's in a tube tube, a joint, in a dube tube in your pocket is not in an open container. The main thing, though, is that the odor would not be there if it's uh, in a dube tube or something like that. They don't want people smoking and moving vehicles. Um, but mostly, what they do is they realize that you can't just say that someone who has a little THC in their system is impaired. We're getting really, really flawed data coming out of Washington and Colorado, where all of a sudden they're testing everybody and they're saying, "Oh, look, how many more people we're finding with marijuana in their system? Well, they never tested before." Uh, also, the amount of car accidents is going down. The amount of driving is going up. The price of gas is going down, so people, more people, in cars driving around. Um, but we, when people substitute marijuana for alcohol for example, that makes them generally a safer driver. If they combine the two, not so much. Uh, Likewise, there's been a study from the the Center on Disease Controls, the CDC, that says that opiates involved in driving accidents has gone down as people use marijuana instead. And so uh, we don't really know how that all works, but we do know that the per se test doesn't. So what this initiative does is it uh, creates a research program, an implementation program to determine what's causing impaired driving and how do we test for it and it's not just limited to marijuana because you know most of us believe that marijuana has only a very very minor impact on people's driving, but we know there's a lot of impaired drivers out there, and so this is going to come up with testing that's going to be scientifically derived to make sure. And, and you know, you probably know about as much as about this as anybody, Mitch. But it has to do with um, hand-eye coordination testing. It has they, they can use they have a ball that senses your ability to move and your dexterity. They have keyboards. Uh, I mean, excuse me, touchscreens where they test your eye, hand-eye coordination. They can look into your eyes and and move a light and track your vision and so forth. So I think those are the kind of tests. We're going to end up with not just, but the, right now, um, an officer sees someone driving erratically. They can pull them over and test them from THC in their system, and it still doesn't prove anything. Mm.
3: And I we are seeing some some uh, some tests being done on breathalyzers, but I don't think that's what's going to be an impaired driving standard. That's a
1: a THC-based test, and I'm not a fan of that idea at all, but I really like it about this is, you know, folks who are impaired because of Benadryl or some of these over-the-counter meds that are sedating that nobody even talks about would definitely still be caught under these circumstances and would actually have the potential to make our roads even safer, which may not be uh, what other folks had considered. I know that... uh, we've been talking about sort of the the right-wing concerns, but there's also a subset of left-wing folks, not just those in the libertarian fantasy land, I guess. What are the other critiques you're getting from folks who we'd normally be able to count on for voting for Prop
3: 64? Well, Well, one of them... Go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, Well, well, people people are... (laughs) People are under the... Some people... um, feel like well marijuana is just a plant it should be treated like a tomato you can grow as much in your in your yard and shouldn't have any regulations or any controls uh, unless you're a a business and they don't like the to having to get business licenses they don't like to have to pay taxes there is a production tax for cultivation included in this initiative for for nine dollars and 25 cents an ounce of flowers and and Uh, $2.75 an ounce for trim and leaves, and they don't like that. But that's only for the the commercial. For personal, there's there's no tax. But people, they don't like the – they don't want to be restricted, and they're kind of used to a uh, semi-Wild West uh, thing going on here in California – where they don't feel the the impact of of law enforcement unless until they get caught, but so, so though, basically that's that's their problem. They they don't want regulations. They don't want uh, controls.
2: But the the three things that I I actually hear coming out um, that I I have some empathy with, uh, one of them is that it goes straight from one ounce of marijuana being legal to an ounce and a few extra grams becomes a misdemeanor. Uh, We felt that it would be nice if they had a larger amount available for people, number one, or number two, that it would become an infraction rather than a misdemeanor. Uh, Another thing is that a lot of the tax money goes to law enforcement, and many of the uh, activists feel that considering that law enforcement has opposed us and been so Terrible uh, about this whole issue That that's not really appropriate But nonetheless, you know uh, As we talked about for the driving enforcement And stuff like that, those are things that are are Going to actually happen there And um, the Yeah, and then the other concern is that people think that because of the cost of the licenses, which we don't know what the prices are going to be, but that they could be so high that it makes it harder for the smaller uh, growers and so forth to get in there. Uh, To which I would say that the way this is actually written, it's scaled to the size so that the smaller your business is, the less it costs you to operate that business. Uh, And so that's not really – I understand the concern, but I think the initiative actually put that in place to protect those interests of the small growers.
1: Well, thank you guys so much. I just want to point folks to a couple of websites that can help answer any other questions you might have if you've got any left at all. It's friendsofprop64.org, legalizeca 2016org and yeson64.org. We've had a delightful time with Chris Conrad and Mickey Norris here on Hempire, the show devoted to all things hemp. Be sure to stay with Cannabis Radio or pick us up on iTunes, Spreaker, or all those other wonderful places where you find iTunes. I mean, where you find podcasts. Hey, I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.